Hello and welcome to Letters and Lines, a comics podcast looking at comics from the perspective of being a fan, a creator and a critic. Before we dive into what we're actually going to be talking about in this episode, it's probably worth introducing who we are so you know whose voices you're listening to. I'm Hass, and I make Strip Panel Naked on YouTube, I edit the Eisner-nominated Panel by Panel magazine, and I write, edit, and letter comic books. And I'm Aditya, and I letter comics like Isola, These Savage Shows, and Little Bird. I also write articles for PanelX Panel. I've started a new series called Creator's Creator. Uh, you can read that in PanelX Panel. And I've also started a YouTube series uh, called Lettering Live, in which I letter a page of comics, and I talk about what I'm doing there. So each episode, we have two topics. I bring a topic and Aditya brings a topic. Uh, so my topic this week is about effective comic book cover designs. And my topic is what comics criticism should or could look like. We should also say that I've got a dog running around behind uh, me and you've got a cat running around behind yeah, me. Yeah, and he wants his dinner in a bit, I think. So you're going to be hearing so these animals uh, during the recording at some point. <laughs> We've got two guest hosts with us this week. I don't know how much they'll contribute to the discussions, but just so you know that they are there. Well, I'll have you know my cat is very smart. <laughs> my dog is not. I have met your dog and I can confirm on that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we, we should probably should just say we, we haven't done one of these in quite a while. Uh, yeah, months, most, I think. Months, yeah, literally, I think since last year. Mo- uh, probably mostly my fault. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm like living, traveling around the motorhome, so... Uh, Finding Times of Podcast has been a bit difficult. Yeah, and I think you're just way busier than I am at the moment. Yeah, you've got a much better work-life balance than I have figured out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's mostly life and sleep at this point. <laughs> um, so apologies to everyone that was listening. Uh, we'll, we're going to try and get this a little bit more semi-regular. We're not promising it'll be weekly, but I think uh, definitely a lot more regular than... Uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe once a month or something. Let's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Better than, better than, you know, twice a year, whatever the current schedule will be. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, so this, this is the first. Let's call this the first of season two, and then we can we can get away with it a bit better, can't we? The, sure. the gap makes more sense. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. We took a hiatus. <laughs> um, so yeah, my so my topic this week, uh, if we start with me, was effective comic book cover designs, and this is really born out of um, the cover design for um, Chip Starsky and uh, Mark Bagley's uh, Spider-Man Life Story. Which right. um, I really like as an issue. It just as generally as an issue, I really like the I really like the first issue. I really like the concept. It feels like to me. I haven't read the second one yet, which came out today, which is a day like the day we're recording it, it came out. Yeah. Um, and it feels like it, it makes more sense as a concept once you've gone past the first issue because it's kind of um, it's it's stuck in still one period, I, I guess, in the first issue. I mean, it jumps years, but it's still kind of like yeah. More- I, I have I have no idea what the comic is about. Is it like uh, Spider Man through the ages? Yeah, it's it's kind of it's essentially um, we didn't plan this, but that's this that's a really good system for this. Where if you pretend like you don't know it, and then I'll explain it, so everyone else at home can also join in with the conversation. I ha- and it helps <laughs> that I actually don't know. <laughs> it's it's the concept is basically like what if Spider Man had aged in real time from you know the the age he was when he was created. Oh, uh, okay, that's that's nice. Yeah, so the, so each issue is like a decade. So issue one is the sixties, issue two is the seventies, three eighties. Uh, 490s um so yeah the first one kind of talks about him like the vietnam war and it's like a cool bit with him and captain america about the vietnam war um uh and then in the 70s i think that's the right time i'm thinking about the right thing uh 70s i haven't read yet um but it's clearly brings in like you can tell from the covers they're going to be bringing in certain things so like the 70s is clearly going to be like like goblin characters the 80s is i'm guessing craven's last hunt it looks like uh, and then uh, 90s, I'm guessing, is, is like the clone saga from the cover. He's kind of like a chubby, podgy Spider-Man like looking at his reflection. Um, oh, interesting. 
Yeah, so it's it's quite a cool idea, but again, it, it sort of makes more sense to me, I think, as like now there's two issues that it makes a lot more sense. I'm guessing to see that progression from sort of decade to decade. All right. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a really good. It's, it's kind of like a fun take on like very classic, and I think as well, which I'm hoping based on the first issue that um, Starsky is kind of like writing it in the period. So like the first issue was very Stanley. You know, it was like it was like really like in, a, in a, it was very much in like a Stanley homage sort of. All oh, right. Okay. Um, so. The seventies yeah. would be like Jerry Conway or something. Somebody. I'm like guessing. That. I'm guessing that's what it will work like. I haven't. This is based on absolutely no facts because I've it was absolute speculation. So like, <laughs> I could have researched this better. So uh, how, if, if if you if the actual series is not like that, you actually have a series that you could pitch tomorrow. Yeah, that's true. It's but yeah, imagine that pitch. Basically, what <laughs> Chips Starsky and Mark Bagley did, but like ever so slightly different. And right now, <laughs> I think they'll go for that. I think they'll go. For that. Written by a British man. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, this is this is dynamite. Yeah, they'll love that. <laughs> um, so yeah, but the the thing that really the, the reason I picked up in the first place, uh, apart from um, you know re- like really liking both those people, uh, I think we may have talked about this before on the on the on the show, maybe not. Like Ultimate Spider Man was like one of my first real comic book loves. Like I I, I love that series. All oh, right, I loved, I Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I loved I love Bagley's um, Bagley Bagley. Bag. I think it's Bagley. Well, it's too late into the podcast to be asking that question. Isn't it? Uh, I really like Bagley's work on that. Bagley, Bagley, Bagel, Bagley. Uh, I, really, I really like his work on that series. Um, so for me, he's almost like the quintessential Spider-Man artist because he's like I read, you know, hundred and whatever issues of that series. Oh um, right, yeah. More than, more than any other Spider-Man run I've ever read, you know. Uh, hmm. So for me, I always like that's kind of like the style that I always. Uh, think of uh, spider-man in and then weirdly secondly humberto ramos because that was like the next spider-man thing i read after that that one um, i can see because i read the paul jenkins humberto yeah. ramos stuff when i got into comics yeah i really like that style as well um anyway this is this is i'm trying to talk about comic book covers and i've spent like 10 minutes <laughs> on about nothing uh but these they have these really really beautiful covers um have, did, have, you, have you have you seen them if i not, have I seen the covers they're really good okay yeah. okay so each cover is like a solid color so like the first one's kind of this kind of turquoise uh greeny blue and um the second one's like an orange third is like a purple pink and the fourth is just kind of like blank red um and they're just really really bold and they're they're very much more uh like a designy than they are traditionally comic book covery i think like if for the people listening to this if i just said you know think of a comic book cover your your sort of standard thing would be to think of like the character of the comic book and then just a big title above their head and that's basically a cover, right? You know, that's 99% of comic book covers is just a kind of big, bold illustration of the character uh, in some kind of cool pose, usually kind of like action pose related or whatever. Um, <coughs> Sorry. And then, and then that's it, right? That's like a whole cover. Whereas the Spider-Man ones are very minimalist in what they're doing. You know, if you, if you like the, the fourth one, for example, is just Spider-Man looking at his own reflection in what I guess is a kind of minimalized version of a, of a like a skyscraper window. Yeah. Um, and so the covers are much more um, a sense of kind of like a graphic design than they are about illustration. I think if that's probably a good good way of describing them. Yeah, um, they look a lot more like prose book covers, if anything. Right, right, and they also they look like those kind of um, you know like there was like that kind of fashion of like re of reprinting uh, book covers in very very like type centric design ways. All um, right, yeah. I think it was like they, they kind of like in England, at least they kind of redid like a whole bunch of Raymond Chandler uh, novels in these kind of really uh, type type focused um, styles. And they're really, really nice. and They're really, really cool. And I think in, in book in the book market now, because so many people have done that, you, you, you're, you're losing a sense of 
um, individualism by doing that because it's kind of a trend that got picked up. But comics always feels like it's a few years behind everything else, um, which is weird because it's usually the most one of the most immediate, uh, art, you know, art forms, right? Like most yeah. most comics that I'm working on are, are, are like I'm working on like you know a couple of weeks before they're released. Um, so it's weird. It's weird how often immediate they are, but also uh, it seems like they take a, a while to catch up to like popular culture. Um, but these, but this is these. This is like a really, really, really cool cover design. Um, yeah. And I, and I, for me, I'm always much more interested in the comics. Like I, I, I basically bought this purely off the strength of that first cover issue hmm. because I, I haven't read like a Spider-Man comic in quite a while. I will say, um, right. as soon as I saw the cover, I was like, "This is cool," and it. It sort of feels like they're trying to do something different with it, which is what, what piqued my interest in the first place. Um, and the, I, the same thing with the the four kids. If you remember the four kids walk into a bank covers, um, not quite. The main, well, the main covers for those were also very uh, designy and I, and weirdly also I don't know if it's maybe it's a Matt Rosenberg thing, um, but obviously that was Tyler Boss, but also Matt Rosenberg's Multiple Man. Uh, cool. Marvel recently had really kind of like more designery covers than they did traditional comic book covers. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm, I just I just looked up the four kids walk into a bank, and that uh, reminds me a lot of the covers that uh, Tom Miller did for Zero, mm, where mm. he did, like collaborated with an artist, and like uh, the the illustration was like a much smaller part of the cover than the design was almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, I was gonna, I was going to talk about Tom because Tom. Tom's covers seem to have a lot of. Uh, I mean, obviously he's a designer, and so when yeah. you bring someone in as a designer to to do stuff with a cover, uh, I always found that's a little bit more interesting than what you what you typically get. Um, but I, 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 it's kind of, it's almost become like a. I was wondering with the Matt Rosenberg thing if it had almost become kind of like a um, like a you know like a kind of a shorthand to say that this is kind of like an indie cool comic because Multiple Man was very much that that tone. It kind of had like that very little comedic in that kind of like indie comic sensibility that Matt Rosenberg brings to stuff. Um, and so I wonder yeah, if that... you're, you're right, because uh, the last covers that I remember looking something like this were the Brian Wood covers from the, like something like 2005, 2006, mm. uh, where he like, there would be like a, there would be a illustration, but it would be very like sort of a photocopied photo almost. Right. right, right. Uh, and there would be like the, the important bit of the cover would be the type treatment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's the same. If I think Tom Muller is like a Tom Muller, obviously, like is a really good one to look at because even yeah. on comics that have a very traditional um, style on the front, you know, it, where it is just kind of like an illustration of the main character, he still has like a big bold typeface a lot of the time. I like Versus, he did the same yeah. thing with Versus, right, which was really just a traditional comic cover, um, where but he just has this big blocky Versus. Uh, outline that laid over the top of it and suddenly it became a little bit more interesting as a kind yeah. of almost like based focused and he also did these remix covers for versus which were essentially him taking a black and white illustration and kind of uh using the logo uh, to remix that illustration mm -hmm. and that was really interesting that was not exactly a, a prose cover kind of style but it was right. something very edgy like it actually felt like okay this is what comics covers could look like yeah, yeah, and it's and it, because it's interesting because the whole point of a cover in the first place is to stand out on the shelf. Yeah. Um, and if you're just putting if you're just putting another illustration of a character with a title above in the top third uh, next to another uh, comic book cover which has a character illustration uh, with a title in the top third, you're just it's not you're not really I don't know to me it just it never really stands out. Um, but everything everything I've seen that Tom Muller's done, I'm thinking of like Material as well had those really cool covers which which were like. They were, I, they, I don't know if it's somewhere in between like a really indie movie poster, uh, yeah. probably for like a documentary <laughs> and uh, and a book cover. They weren't quite book cover, but they weren't quite 
movie poster either. They were sort of they sort of sat in between. He did the top third thing, but it was usually just I think I'm pretty if I remember this right, again, I'm really bad at researching stuff for this show. But I, if I remember right, it was just the top third was basically just a block colour with uh, material in the kind of uh, sans serif font, block, like a blocky sans serif font credits, and then it was just some kind of like uh, glitchy or or sort of broken imagery that that place below it. Um I'm Googling that right now, and I think... Likewise. I think I'm actually right. Um, so, oh, okay, so for issue one, that's what issue one was like. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, and each issue had a different cover, but they all look like magazine covers almost. Right, magazine, yeah, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Material yeah. 3 is awesome, such a cool cover. That, yeah. That, that's, like an indie, that's like an indie magazine that you'll find at one of those kind of like, you know, that have like the kind of like the magazines you've never heard of before. Right. Um, there's like a whole rack of them. That material would fit like very much on the cover of those. Exactly like panel by panel shirts, if you, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I love that stuff because to me, like that's... It, it feels like if you if you've got to the point where you're doing something different with your cover, then I feel like the insides are going to be something a little bit interesting as well. Because I don't think traditionally, uh, if you're thinking about it on that level, right? If you're thinking about the 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 comic form beyond just the, the interior, and then you're just going to hire someone cool to draw a co- like a cover, you're thinking about how to design this thing as a as a package. I think I'm assuming that the care inside is going to be also of the same standard. I think so. Like, I think uh, that's sort of uh, the, it's all, it's almost the Warren Ellis sort of approach that uh, everything from the cover inside should kind of speak to what you're trying to do. Right. So, so with something like planetary, almost like he would um, like every cover would look completely different and that would be based on a brief uh, given by uh, Ellis to his collaborators. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like something like, I mean, it, it says thoughtful in a way that a standard comic book cover might not. Yeah, and I also think it. I think I tend to think those things invite a little bit more uh, interest. I mean, obviously this is all personal, but they invite a little bit more interest from me. Like I'm much more prone to to pick up something that looks um, that looks different on the shelf. Like some material I bought that when it came out. What two thousand? I want to say two thousand fifteen, two thousand fourteen, something like that. Maybe a little bit really? later than that. But I didn't really know much about anyone that worked on that book at the time. Um, especially didn't know anything about, say, like Will Tempest who drew it. Um, hmm. And so when I was picking that up, that was not based on anything beyond I saw that cover on the shelf in the comic book shop and thought, that looks friggin' cool, man. And so I yeah. wanted to get that out. And so as soon as I picked it up, I sort of, I probably, I already knew that I was interested in that thing and I had no idea what it was, like, at all. All I knew, all I knew about it was it had a cool cover. But that was enough for me to think, like, this is going to be something interesting. Um, yeah, but that, that's, that's what a cover should be doing precisely. Right, right yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so, covers are not for people who already know about the book. Yeah, exactly, right. If you're already going in there knowing what you're going to buy, the cover's not going to put you off, I don't think. Um, I think the only thing that is particularly interesting about comics is that when the cover... So, for example, the material covers, if we're talking about those, have almost no uh, link in terms of visual style uh, to the interiors of the comic book, which I guess is something that we're maybe used to as comic book readers anyway, because typically you might have a different cover artist or whatever. Exactly. I remember uh, when I first got into comics, that was very disappointing to me. That, like, the, like so let's say some, I, I pick up, uh, I, I don't know which one, but like a lot of the early Vertigo covers, like the covers were very uh, like densely illustrated, like well-rendered and everything. And the insides were like, you know, much 
much more sort of comic booky and that was initially kind of uh, uh, disappointing but i think i got used to it very quickly until like last year somebody com- like somebody i know personally complained about that about one of my own books <laughs> right. and i was like why would you expect the cover to look like the same and <laughs> i was like oh shit okay no that that makes sense there's a lot of things like that though right in comics where it's just it's just weird things that you that if you read comics you get used to but don't necessarily translate to like a wider audience because it right. absolutely makes sense that if you see an illustrated cover uh, for a comic that you might assume the inside of it also does look like that <laughs> exactly i mean i mean like i mean the the layman question is like why why does an artist not let their own work is also like a layman question that i get asked <laughs> right. quite a lot and right. one that i kind of agree with like i i i like the fact that i have a job but <laughs> when I read comics, I like I like it when the artist letters the comic themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do think that a designy cover, to me, but I'd be curious to see what you think. Uh, but I do think a designy cover for me alleviates that problem a little bit because I don't think you're expecting to pick up that comic and have the inside of that comic look like uh, you know just twenty four pages of magazine covers or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like I think the, the you're I think you get away with it a bit more with a, a more designed. That's uh, fair. That's. That's actually fair. Like, like the material covers that you have, like, I mean, they're photographs or like uh, photocopies and stuff like that. So, like, mm-hmm. you wouldn't exactly expect the, the insides to look like that. Yeah. So, uh, do you, is there a is there a comic? If I ask you now, what your favorite uh, cover design uh, cover or cover design is of a comic? Do you have something that's already in mind? Um, I do really like. Uh, yeah, like I do really like the east of west cover designs. Right. Uh, which are like a balance between an illustration and a overall sort of trade dress, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like I like that kind of minimalist design. I imagine um, that's Hickman who designs them himself. I yeah, think. He, I think I believe he designs them himself, and he, I think, uh, and the, the illustration on the cover is generally, I think, single color rather than like are, multiple yeah. colors. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's that. Uh, East of West is actually is really cool because that is that's kind of almost like somewhere in between a comic book cover and a, and a kind exactly of like a exactly because because the, the serialized color covers also look like the trade cover mm-hmm. and they also have the illustration by the guy who's drawing the comic yeah yeah so all of that kind of works out quite well you no know I love I love on those cover I'm just looking at them now uh, so. I think these might be just the volumes rather than the specific issues. Cause I think the issues have actual numbers. Um, yeah. yeah, they do. But the volumes have just like a large, uh, sans serif, uh, you know, bold text word written underneath. So yeah. like, the, like volume nine just has the word nine at the, nine. At the bottom. It's kind of soft gray. <laughs> looks beautiful. Yeah. looks beautiful. Exactly. Like look at the, look at the volume eight one. Like there's just a single illustration, a very striking one mm. in a single color. And then that's that same color used to kind of create the rest of the cover. Yeah. 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 Very nice. They're good stuff. Good stuff. They do tend to, now I'm, now I'm looking at this and thinking, you know, I've done, I do the same thing with panel by panel as well, which has mm-hmm. a kind of like a, a semi bold, uh, sans serif font. And yeah. East of West is a bold sans serif font. Material was a semi-bold sans serif font. Um, is what else are we talking about? Versus is um, it's hard to tell, but I guess you could argue that sans serif. Yeah, uh, it's a blocky block, like block letter. It's zero. Is zero? Uh, zero is a. I think it's a sans serif font as blocky well. Blocky sans serif font. That's interesting. I guess that's just that, I guess that's just kind of modern design. Uh, right. Really yeah, but I don't think a serif font would like say the things you want wanted to say. 
There is a nice. Uh, I I did that as a little lead into the fact that Spider Man has a nice serif font. Uh, oh right. <laughs> so yeah. Spider Man Life Story has a very very nice serif font that uh, carries on throughout the whole thing. That's very again very anti comics. I guess it's not yep. a traditional comics look. Um, it doesn't have a specific, uh, which is also something that we probably should talk about. Um, is that it doesn't have a it doesn't have a logo as such. It just has a kind of like uh, type bold typeface, um, which completely. With- apart from every other Spider-Man story I can think of. Exactly, which again kind of goes back to the prose book cover because prose books don't tend to have logos. They mm-hmm. just have a type treatment. Right, so, right. Yeah, like I mean you don't you don't recognize a book by its logo the way you would recognize a comic book by its logo. That is very true. That is very yeah. true. Do you think that is that like a, a thing because a, a book is typically a, a standalone item whereas a comic book is uh, you know, like Spider-Man can have like a whole bunch of different series going at once. Do you think? I think that's definitely a thing. Also, uh, books are ten- uh, books tend not to be owned by their publishers, so right. the uh, the same book might have like three different publishers, like one in hardback, one in paperback, and stuff like that. And yeah. each of them might go for a completely different treatment. That's very true. Yeah, I think uh, I think the uh, the Stephen King books used to have like a unified design in serif with the word King in yeah. like you know gigantic. Yeah, uh, yeah. Stuff. So there's that, but I think that's when you have a series, like you have a very long-running series of books that at least share a theme, if not like a plot or setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a good point. I used to collect those King covers. I really like them. They had like, <laughs> yeah, they, I used they, to they enjoy them. those East of West ones. I think, if I remember right, they had just like that big white. They had like a big white area that had King written on it, and then like a bit of half. Uh, no, I think I think they used to have just the type treatment on the cover, except the illustration would be planned such that 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 area of the cover cover was not like uh, too important. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I'm trying to find uh, this is this is a, this is this is a podcast of me googling. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I can see what you mean. I found it. I found it. I remember. Yeah. Him wrong. I remember him wrong. But yeah, that, that that's really cool. And also, the other person I wanted to mention was um, Becca Carey, who uh, is doing um, cover. She's done. She did like a cover for um, the Planet, uh, Planet of the Apes comic, and she, she's doing. Uh, I think she's doing like the design stuff on Redlands, the Jordi Belair and Del Rey comic. And right. she's also doing alternate covers for um, the new Buffy the Vampire Slayer that um, uh, oh, nice. Blair is, is, is uh, writing. And uh, uh, Becca's work is, I, I absolutely adore it because it is very much like in the, in the, in the vein of Stephen King's. So that was a really, that was a nice lead on. Um, where she, she does these kind of, they almost feel like Stephen King comic book uh, covers. Um, yeah, and like so, she did one. Uh, they're not like us with the you know the Eric Stevenson um, comic. Um, yeah, who drew that? Simon Gain, uh, and they are absolutely st- like it was absolutely stunning. It's this kind of like it. It looks like a but she even put like a paper texture of like <laughs> creased edges around it and stuff like that. Um, oh, I, don't, nice. I don't think it was ever one they used for the book, uh, but. It's just like, you know, she, she just kind of posted this stuff online and I absolutely adore them so much. I think it's so interesting. It was, it was very exciting to see that she's doing um, like Buffy, Buffy covers now. So the first one that they announced, I think it was the very like, first one, it's just kind of like flat blank red cover um, with Buffy the Vampire Slayer and it's kind of fairly small, to be fair, uh, text across the top in a kind of like lighter red. And then there's a picture of the, um, like, I guess the school that Buffy goes to, Summervale High, I want to say. Is that right? Right. Uh, no, Sunnyvale. Wait. Sunny, Sunnyvale. There you go. Um, and 
so directly below it so it's kind of, it's kind of like sat on like a patch of, of like a circular patch of land with a kind of like softer red and then directly below it is this kind of tube that is the exact same width as that patch of land that has like demons uh and you know monsters and kind of stuff uh textured into it and it's right. just so beautiful it's like it's so cool and by, that- the, by the way i need to correct this it was sunny dale and i'm ashamed as a i'm, I'm ashamed <laughs> as a former buffy fan uh, that i got this wrong but it's beautiful it's, it, and it completely looks nothing else like any other comic book cover i've seen right and that i would i would immediately buy that so i bought like i bought like uh her planet of the apes one uh a comic which no offense to anyone that works on that is not my, i don't it's not really my cup of tea right planet of the apes um right. and i bought it not to read it but i bought it just to look at that cover for longer than, <laughs> I, than I could if i was standing at a table um because it's just beautiful it's beautiful and it's i, I really wish that Alternate covers would be a little. I, I understand the market. You know, people love alternate covers by artists that they love, etc. But I, I wish that like more and more alternate covers would would these kind of different designs, like the, kind of like more graphic designy, more book covery, and just to test to see if like people would go for this sort of thing. And hopefully that's what Marvel's seeing. Hopefully that's what Marvel's seeing with the, with the Spider Man one and and with, with like the kind of multiple man cover and stuff. That there is a market for something that doesn't just look like. A traditional comic book cover and hopefully as the the comic book market changes uh in time which is doing now that sort of thing is going to be what sells it in a traditional bookshop beyond just a a thing that looks like a comic book because i think i think it can be be deceiving or it can put people off um i think you're more i think a, a general layman reader is more likely to probably go for something that looks like a book cover than they are for a thing that just kind of like a big illustration of a team with x-men written over it yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. But I think uh, it would also require a certain degree of creative uh, creator uh, investment in this, mm-hmm. because I don't think this happens without like somebody like Jim Zdarsky or Matthew Rosenberg just kind of deciding that okay they're gonna they're gonna have input in this. Oh, absolutely. And I, I'm 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 I don't know this, but I'm 100% uh, confident in saying that. I'm sure Buff uh, uh, Jordi Belair was like a big part of getting Becca Carey on Buffy because um, they because they worked each, uh, on, with each other on Redlands. So I'm assuming right. that, that was that was you know a major push yeah. from 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 Jordi Belair's side and getting Becca. Well, it must have been even like Hickman, for example, his uh, Avengers uh, books had these like uh, you know uh, essentially interstitials. Mm-hmm. And those were like all designed by him. Like he right. and and basically he was I, I believe he was given them uh, because he said that you know what I'll do this myself and you don't reduce the number of pages. So the right. reader gets a better experience that the the writer actually has an investment in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? So I think I think it you need that. You need somebody like a Warren Ellis or a John, Jonathan Hickman or Chip Dzadowski saying that uh, we would like to do something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, so uh, Chip Starsky said that he basically did that whole cover himself, apart from the, uh, the, the like the name credit. So he did the typeface and everything like that as well. Which again, oh, okay. I think, I think okay. is which is also quite interesting that uh, he was allowed to do that within Marvel, um, right? That they that they there was no one that he was he was given the freedom to just completely do like the typeface logo, essentially the logo for the for the comic book. Um, all by himself and actually didn't he wanted the names to not necessarily be on the cover which is a different argument obviously um but that that's that but i don't know that's i think that's really cool and i think that's that's probably right is that it it does probably require people to kind of uh maybe stand up a little bit more for what they want the thing to look like but again i mean there's a whole lot of other questions and conversations that revolve around doing that sort of thing and if there's money for that sort of thing and time etc etc yeah Uh, also i think uh see when you're doing a creator-owned book you might want to do something like this, but also uh, 
you know you're kind of selling to retailers and retailers are going to buy this based on what they think they can sell yeah so you might not be able to do that with your first book um as you would like because somebody will tell you that you know what like maybe maybe have a normal cover and then do something like this yeah Or, yeah yeah you know i mean there's a hundred reasons uh based on like economy and the market that why this might not be a good idea in the short term but in the long term it definitely is a good idea and i think if your book is interesting and if you kind of uh, like see the fact is if uh, the spiderman covers had been boring but they had been like this they would still have been bad it's not the style that actually sells it it's the style plus quality like oh, it's sure, the yeah. fact that somebody's exploring exploring something and the fact that they're doing a good job of it mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. for sure so i think you need that balance like you kind of uh, we don't necessarily need like every comic to look like this from next month onwards uh, but <laughs> it would it would be actually interesting if uh, you know like just like the east of west thing like that's something somewhere in between the two of the two of these right mm-hmm. so something like you know people should sort of explore other directions than just a standard illustration plus logo thing yeah and i think i think to to kind of bring that back to say uh, talking about Becca Carey or Tom Muller i think there is definitely a element of wanting to bring someone in for to, to design a publication rather than just design a logo yeah so, one of one of my favorite uh, cover treatments recently was uh, Emma Price's treatment on the Cry Havoc uh, variant covers mm-hmm. where each cover was essentially a gigantic issue number and the inside and the outside were, were both illustrated uh, so the so basically uh, for, i believe that Emma would basically do the number and then send that uh, to the artist and the artist would actually create the illustration based on that number so it was uh, designed cool. first yeah it yeah, was designed yeah, yeah. first so so you could kind of vary the artists and still have have a cohesive look like that was an entire series of covers that i would happily buy uh, because like it's just okay like i generally don't get, care about variant covers but that's a set of variant covers i could have told myself that you know i would rather have those than the main covers yeah i'm looking at them now and also they do a, a clever thing of i guess the unifying theme was a, is is literally just a giant number but also the illustration that that is within the number is different yeah. than the illustration outside the number no not necessarily i think uh, i think that was kind of the artist's prerogative but the coloring is definitely different so it definitely has a distinguished like you know uh, no they, i've got all words. three here so that so i think each, there were six of them Okay, okay, okay. Well, in the first three, the the illustration that is inside the number is still is still in in all cases directly linked to the one underneath it, right. but it's actually something different. So, like in the first one, you've got a character uh, playing a violin, but the uh, image inside is the the same shape essentially, but the character is yeah. now wearing like uh, arm gear and she's got a gun instead. Correct, correct. Um, right. And like in the third one, it's like a, a an army character with loads of weaponry, but then in the three is like uh, that weaponry is sort of switching into uh, you know like plant life and nature. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think they're different on each and every one. It's a cool, very very cool design. Very exactly. bad. like that would make me buy a comic like exactly. And and this does not happen without the design coming first. Like you cannot right. design this after the fact. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I, I think, think that's that's really important. Like something like the Wicked and the Divine, for example. Like that was definitely designed first because uh, they were going to do like a series of like something like fourteen of those covers are those headshots, mm-hmm. and that c- can't happen without you deciding that okay, you know what, we we work this around the design. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I do think an interesting example from this spinning off that is if uh, what Tom Muller did on uh, the New World, which was another Alish uh, comic with Trad Moore. 
Um, and that's a really interesting thing because what I'm what I assumed, and this is entirely you know entirely my assumption, but based on looking at those covers, <laughs> is Trad basically just drew a traditional comic book cover, um, right. and then and then Tom figured out a way of turning that into a slightly different uh, design, like a, a much more of a design element. Again, it's like big bold font for the logo, uh, yeah. sans serif, and then you've got essentially got this kind of like window that takes the, that has the comic book art in it, and then around that is this block color. Um, Design like this red and this blue, simulating the kind of you know. Yeah, I think I think you might be right on that. Um, but it, but even that is is interesting, and even that is is enough of something different for me to make that look, uh, you know, to make that stand out on the shelf. Like that's that's not necessarily a thing that where has, where design has come first, but, but right. design has been done beyond yeah. just, beyond just kind of Tom going look, I've got a logo for you, just slap it on the top of the image. Right. Um, so I just I love I love when comics have brought in. A designer specifically. If I can plug one thing I'm working on, right, is the Killer oh. Groove cover. Have you seen that? Um, no, I haven't. So the Killer Groove cover is with something that was actually designed by uh, uh, Owen Marin, uh, right. who's drawing who's drawing the comic. Um, but the the cover he he designed he drew the cover as a kind of um, like an LP sleeve because it's about a musician and and. Oh uh, right, yeah, that looks pretty cool. Yes. And so the the guys at Aftershock, whoever that in-house designer is in Aftershock, kind of you know design like the, the text elements and also that cool like uh, uh, like sticker tag thing for the three the, the price, which I think is three. Yeah, that's um, really cool. Yeah. Also, I like the fact that your name is as long as the first two names. <laughs> I it's I always love having to see how people design my <laughs> name into uh, into comment. I saw one uh, for one thing that I got announced on, and it had everyone's surname, and then they just written Hassan, and I was like. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. Uh, have another go. And, but, no, but then they didn't have another go. It just looked, it just looked stupid, like because my name is like twice as long as everyone else's surname on that comic book. Um, yeah. But yeah, Ram has a similar problem because oh, his, uh, yeah, Ram V, so he can't just say we. <laughs> his his always looks weird when it's just V because it's just like it's like someone's forgotten to type anything else. They just like yeah. accidentally hit the key and, and, and you can't actually use the full form of the V because that's his dad's name. So <laughs> right, <laughs> that's weird. Yeah, yeah. that's weird. Um, but yeah, anyway, but this, so this killer groove one I think is a really is a is a cool example of one where Owen drew the whole thing. So that LP is drawn the. Uh, like the, the sleeve thing is, is drawn there's kind of like an image in the, on the image on the sleeve is drawn um, yeah. obviously the text and the logo and the, and, and, uh, the Aftershock logo is, is added on um, but that was one where he as an illustrator was like I've got I want to do this kind of like cool graphic cover um, yeah. and it looks, it looks really, really cool and then for example the alternate cover is, is uh, basically just kind of a more traditional comic book cover of a portrait shot of a character and the logo above it Correct. Um, yeah. but yeah for me like that's the stuff that I always I always loved that so much more because, yeah, I don't know. As I say, it's, it, it stands out on the shelf. I feel like they've probably a little bit, uh, that, that same level of kind of like thought and quality has gone into the rest of the comic. And I will, many, many, many times I've bought a comic purely based on the fact that it has a kind of a cool cover. Yeah. Do you think that's summed up cover, <laughs> cover conversation? Yes, covers should be cool. <laughs> yeah, that's basically all I'm saying. Just make a cool cover and then people will buy it. I've, I've cracked comics covers. Yes, like making making good stuff helps. <laughs> yeah. Half an hour of talking just to say make a cool cover. 
<laughs> yeah, but uh, but I do have a sort of like a next steps almost that right. uh, rather than thinking about it as like okay, I need a logo for my comic and then then I need a design for my comic. You you should I think engage a designer from the beginning and oh, have sure. a conversation with them because they will mm-hmm. always um, give you things that you from like as a writer or an artist or an editor might not be able to just come up with yourself because yeah. they they have a bigger design context than you would right. So they mm-hmm. might be able to solve these things for you and you could you might be able to come up with something much cooler so um, yeah I think if you if you're bringing in someone to design the logo in the first place yeah. uh, I think like asking uh, if they are if they are going to be doing if they if they don't mind or if they want to do uh, like a kind of like a full book production um, is interesting because then you're, you're creating something that becomes a bit more like a seamless as a whole yeah so the design element of that of that comic being the logo suddenly the whole thing is going to be uh designed in a certain way and looks like a certain way and even like you know the inside cover the credits page or whatever the back uh if there's a letters page or anything like that all this kind of stuff can be designed in unison to create yeah. a comic that feels like a whole product i think like you talk about jonathan hickman's design stuff you know uh if you look at like an, an issue of black monday murders for example which has loads of design stuff within it um but even the cover to the inside of the cover to the back everything is like feels like a, a a whole product as opposed to uh story pages within something else and i love yeah. when the comic feels because of that, because then i want to buy that single issue as well if the whole thing feels like a unified uh, approach and it feels like a whole artifact then i'm much more willing to want to catch that every single month it comes out in single issues than i am necessarily like you know some cases you know for some comics i'll trade weight but if there's a comic like if there's a comic that uh, like for example black monday murders makes so much more sense to trade weight for that comic because it's, it's schedule is fairly erratic yeah. uh, and it, it's it's much more satisfying to read in chunk <laughs> is necessarily an issue and yet i will not miss a single issue with that because it just looked gorgeous in the hand right yeah no that makes sense uh, i would say that something like uh, drifter mm-hmm. uh is a good touchstone for me myself because uh, not only like the whole thing looks unified because uh, Nick's kind of color palette has been integrated into the rest of the you know design. Yeah. There is a particular uh, ethic to the design through the first two volumes and then the next two volumes. Uh, the logo itself changes over the course of the series. Um, then the 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 first like design page like after the credits mm-hmm. is used to kind of uh, tell you a part of the story um you know like it's not a recap yeah, page yeah. exactly but it's like somebody talking to you yeah uh, and even the up even the upc code at the back is integrated into the entire design because uh, what know. what ivan and tom realized was that uh, as long as the upc code is readable on one axis, you can extend it on, on on the other axis. Like you don't have to stick to that little square box. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, so like the entire thing is designed. Yeah. And then because the because of the color palette matching and the way that Tom, uh, you know, strews these elements on top of the cover. Yeah. Uh, so like all of it looks like you know, this was thought through. This was made. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah sort of like the one mind thing like it almost looks like it was made by one mind even if it was like formed out of multiple people yeah 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 yeah, yeah. No, that's sick that's but that, i think that's i think that's what i think again i think that's what comics can be and i don't necessarily they should be that but i think they can be that where the whole thing is designed as a single unified object and i right. quite like that oh what a, what a horrible sentence but i quite like that um i, I just threw up in my mouth a bit saying that i'm really sorry um but yeah but i really do like but i do i really do like that approach i do really like that approach a lot yeah 
So sure. Yeah, I think I think now we've solved COVID. COVID. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out because usually I've got like a good segue, but I'm trying I'm trying to figure out how we get from that to cut to good comics career. Uh, how do you decide if a comic cover is good? Or not? <laughs> That's oh yeah. Who do you look to to decide if a comic is a comic cover is good? Two people rambling on a podcast is who apparently. <laughs> Okay, well, do you want to tell us about your topics since I've absolutely failed about bridging the gap between these two? Right, so uh, my topic is what comics criticism should or could look like. Um, And this is kind of, uh, if you remember a few weeks ago, there was a bit of a sort of controversy about who can critique a a piece of art made for a comic. Yeah. Right, and I, I think, like, I mean, a lot of people believe that like you cannot critique something without actually like knowing how to do it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, I think that's 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 a tremendously sort of myopic way of looking at comics criticism. Um, so, so firstly, like, I want to kind of set up like a couple of ground rules, which is from my point of view, comics criticism is not for creators necessarily, mm-hmm. but it can be. Like there are specific types of comics criticism that are for the creator, but most of the time comics criticism is not for the creator. Is that like, is that something you would agree with? I would, I would, I'd add a caveat that I think probably for the stuff that I write about is not necessarily for the creator, but for creators. I, I get a lot of response for the sort of, unlike Hmm. Strickland, they could say, from people who are who are writing their own comics or drawing their own comics, that they I think find that's it a right. useful tool. But it's yeah. not, not. I'm not like writing it for um, I don't know Warren Ellis to watch and, and better his craft. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. So like I remember once, like I, I sent a short story to somebody and they kind of gave me like a fairly like you know detailed critique of it. Mm-hmm. Except it happened to be after the story's publication, <laughs> right, and I was okay. like. Okay, I don't need this now because it's done. Like, I mean, I've moved on. Uh, it was a very nice gesture, but it was like, so that is definitely like when creators kind of talk about like, oh, the, this these critics didn't get my comic or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, that's, they're not talking to you. They're not, that's not for you. Right. Uh, which I think is the basic. So like that, that's the review part of it. Like reviews are basically for people to look at who want to kind of, a reader review and decide whether they're gonna buy a comic or not right. and I, I don't read that many comic book reviews apart from like the reviews for my own work just, <laughs> yeah. because, just because I want to like I know I want to know whether they're saying nice things about the comic because I, as a letter it actually doesn't bother me that they don't talk about me because I think uh, w- when somebody's reading a review of a comic I don't know if they need to know whether each creator did a good job uh, they need to know yeah, whether no, the comic sure, yeah. turned out good so which is right. where, where like the Gillen McKelvey sort of just gestalt entity thing mm-hmm. uh, makes a lot more sense to me because um, the fact is as a reviewer you don't need to know who made certain to- choices yeah. like you know there are a lot of lettering choices that are attributed to me, but maybe they were in the script, or <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. or like something. I mean, I, I work with a lot of my writers fairly closely, and I give them feedback on their scripts, mm-hmm. and I tell them that maybe you could do this. So it's not like there's no need to kind of um, credit people with specific moments or specific things. Right. Um, in a review, at least, like I think in criticism, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in actual analysis and stuff, it's a little different. But mm-hmm. in a review, I think what is like the the purpose of that is to kind of tell a reader that this comic is worth your time if this is these are your interests and this is how it maps to those. Um, so at the very least, I think you don't need to agree with the like as a reader, you don't need to agree with the reviewer. You but but you need to know 
sort of how how their interests map to yours like so right 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 there's a there's a uh, there's a movie reviewer in india uh, and that i read religiously not because i always agree with his reviews but mm-hmm. based on a review that he has written even if it's let's say a bad review i can tell that i might like the movie right 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 because yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah for sure yeah because he kind of uh, talks about it in terms of what it is trying to do and how well he thinks it did it and like you know he he talk about specific moments he'll talk about specific uh, things that he thinks the movie did very well but mm-hmm. you know you don't generally see a movie review kind of talking about specific things that the actor did or whatever well that's uh, what that's i think that's like the Roger Ebert thing uh, where i remember he gave uh, a weird example but i remember he gave like hellboy you know, like the first Guillermo del Toro Hellboy, like a four out of five, which is right. also what he'd given, like, I think, like a whole bunch of Scorsese films or whatever. And and his reasoning is that exact same thing. Like, there's, if, there's no point grading something on a scale of, like, um, if it's the greatest thing that's ever been made, but you should be grading it on what it's sort of aiming to do. You know, like, what's it? What's it? Because I think Hellboy's aims are probably very different than Goodfellas, right? Right. Um, the, I mean, they're both trying to entertain people as a sort of a bare minimum. But what they're what they're doing, like a Britney Spears album, is very is doing something very very different than like a Mozart concerto symphony. I don't know what the word. Yeah, is. correct. Like, um, I mean, there's no point telling somebody that hey, the Seventh Seal is not a particularly entertaining movie. Since you're just looking for a good time. Like, I mean, right, right. And there's no point movie. telling like a there's no point telling like a like a like a 12 year old girl that like little mixes album is no nothing compared to like uh back or whatever but it's because yeah. they're doing two entirely different things and also little mix is better than back as a side point um <laughs> but yeah but like i think absolutely that review should be based on the idea of like you should be having an understanding of what the work is aiming to do and, and be able to grade it based on its sort of merits against that element i guess yeah and then the second kind of like style of like criticism is what you and i tend to engage in mm-hmm. which is analysis and academic criticism the boring stuff yeah yeah then like nerdy stuff like <laughs> I, I wouldn't say boring uh, but i will proudly call it nerdy so that's the stuff that i think is actually interesting for creators but as you say for creators in general, not for specific creators. Yeah. Like, like, let's say you kind of figure out something that uh, Warren Ellis or Declan Shalvey did in a in something, and then Declan comes and looks at it and like says like, oh no, yes, I did the, did do that, or yeah. no, I did not do that. That's actually not very useful. Like, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Right. But what matters is somebody reads what you wrote and starts thinking about a comics page in a certain way mm-hmm. or like start thinking start thinking about themes or something in a uh, in a different way like what mm-hmm. i do what i write about lettering you know the way i write about lettering it's not for other letterers like if i was writing for other letterers i would be like much more nerdy but what what i'm trying to do is basically look like ask people to like mostly creators but also readers to look at what lettering contributes to a particular page and in a way that will enhance their enjoyment of the thing so yeah yeah. yeah, so this this kind of uh to me this is kind of akin to something like uh tardis eruditorum which is essentially a doctor who critique site which i mean uh, like elizabeth sandifer has gone through pretty much every doctor who story and kind of um you know done a sort of like a very literary criticism sort of thing with it uh, right. you know relating it to the history like of the time that it was produced and etc i have not watched most of those episodes or read a lot of the books that she writes about but mm. that criticism is still valuable to me because it helps me think about stories it helps me think right. about science fiction it helps right, me right. think about society in general it helps me sure. think about religion you know so that yeah, yeah 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 so that's the function like the fact that it is like 
in terms of academic criticism, the fact that it's happening about a comic is much more, much less important than the fact that it's happening in the first place. So yeah, like you're going to get less out of a review of a comic that you absolutely have no interest in whatsoever than you, than right. you would necessarily like a, a, a academic criticism of that same comic. Correct. So in this, in this, this, this uh, style of criticism for me is an art in itself. Like um, the fact is, I can read criticism like this even if I have zero intention of engaging with the actual art. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, I mean, take something like uh, Sight and Sound. Uh, I used to read Sight and Sound with zero intention of actually watching the movies they talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was, it was like, it was essentially non-fiction. Like, so just like, let's say somebody can write about a crime and you don't have to go and witness the crime. <laughs> somebody can write about a comic and you don't actually have to go read the comic. Yeah, yeah enjoy sure. the criticism. And so like, it, I, Sight and Sound's a weird example. Uh, not, I mean, that's a very good example, but I thought I find the reviews incredibly interesting because I will absolutely devour... I mean, they review everything that comes out in a month, and I will I will read all of those reviews, even though I will watch maybe one of those films. No, and, and those reviews were sort of this interesting mix between the first two. Um, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they're so interesting because they're, they're kind of doing all sorts. It's like a review of the film, but but also not really. <laughs> so they're, they're amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah their, it's, reviews, it's... their reviews of like kids' films, I find fascinating. They're so interesting. Right. Yeah, I I, I completely agree with that, and I think. Um, so personally, I'm a lot more interested in this kind of criticism, right. um, like as a creator, because it helps me not only improve myself as a creator, but improve myself as a reader. Because, because like something like, let's say, uh, Strip Panel Naked mm-hmm. has helped me look at art in comics a certain way. Uh, you know, like it. That's cool. Like, yes, I, like. That, that was just an example that that that's not <laughs> <laughs> don't don't read too much into that right, right. Uh, yeah but but I think this kind of criticism is what I'd like to see a lot more mm. and um, but not in sort of the necessarily the comics journal way in right. which everything is sort of um, ponderously important uh, <laughs> uh, right okay but uh, but in in the way of like something like a TARDIS editor or like you know um, Claire Napier panel, does, for example Panel by panel, exactly. Like panel yeah. by panel does a lot of that. Like Claire Napier does a bunch of that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know that's interesting to me. I, I, uh, I remember reading. I don't remember who it was. I think uh, it was uh, Veronica Hobo. I think I don't, I don't. I'm not quite sure how you pronounce her last name, but she did this uh, series called Transmiscera. Emma which, Emma who 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 Oh, sorry, not Veronica. Emma Emma. Yes, uh, I'm I'm I'm. Yeah. Apologize for mangling the name, uh, yeah. but the but the series was called Transmiscera, in which she would write about comics um, from a very personal point of view, mm-hmm. uh, and that was like that was incredibly interesting to me because that was great writing up yeah. that happened to be about comics. Yeah, and I th- I yeah. would like like my my basic statement is I would like more of that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. And what's the third? You've got a third. Uh... Kind of yeah, the, third, the third one is like the iron comics kind of thing where right. uh, so this is stuff like come in alone or like permanent damage uh, pop life the basement tapes which is where a working creator talks about comics from their point of view right. and and that's usually sort of done in real time it's not it's not meant to be timeless mm-hmm. but let's say reading come in alone right now I can I I can get an idea of what comics used to look like 16 years ago because that was written like 2000, 2012, uh, 2002 or something like that. Right. Um, and also like 
sorry uh, and also like reading Matt Fraction's Pop Life um, it's like that that was a creator who was just starting out while Warren Ellis was a creator who had already done a bunch of his uh, you know his most in, like you know peak work yeah and you know you had two different perspectives looking at the comics industry a lot of these happen to be like straight white men. I would like um, <laughs> more like, you know, diverse voices and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Especially, I would love to like see more indie comics voices or web comics people where right. you're, you're talking about not to, like, you're doing some criticism because you're, you're talking about what comics you like, why you like them. For example, I love the fact that uh, uh, Matt Fraction and Joe Casey would not hesitate to like just shit on like identity crisis which which had just been published because like they were like no that's not a good comic like you know we we, we do comics we know that that's not a good comic Uh, but like then then around that they kind of start talking about what does good superhero comics look like Um, you know what what influences can you bring into superhero comics Mm -hmm. or like you know what what is what is the thing that you can take out of superhero comics and put somewhere else and that that will give it a certain kind of energy so this is sort of like this comes i think from a personal investment because right. these are people whose livelihood is going to depend on the opinion that they form yeah, because yeah, that's yeah. going to affect their work right. um, and those are the like those are basically so the last two are things that i think uh, we have a lot of reviews like we have a lot of uh, great review sites and we have mm-hmm. a lot of like maybe not so great review sites mm-hmm. uh, but i think we used to have a lot of like this kind of academic and uh, academic criticism uh, ion comics kind of thing uh, which now seems relegated to like newsletters and things, but it used to be a republic. It used to be sort of like, uh, you know, people used to talk to each other, like through these. Uh, you <laughs> know, think... that used to be an ongoing conversation, which I find a little bit missing. Yeah, I think I think the Ion Comics is probably the one for me that like is the most missing, because I think there isn't there isn't like a, a sort of a defining voice. I mean, you know, you had like Warren Ellis did his um, newsletter CBR, right? He did like a column at CBR. That, that was coming alone, yeah. Right. And so um, you had like these big voices in, I guess, quite prominent uh, like outlets that yeah. were doing this and people would kind of go and, and, and flock to those sort of things. I think now much less so, probably also because of the advent of things like Twitter, where people can just kind of talk about stuff. Because I think the probably the closest equivalent of like an Ion Comics thing is like following Kurt Busiek's Twitter or something. Um, because he'll often just kind of go off and have like a conversation and a thread about right. some interesting element of comics he's like, that is on his mind at the moment or whatever. Um, yeah. It's probably, I think those things have probably been taken over by the fact that like you, everyone can just get to you directly on Twitter and you can just kind of sh- shout in, in like, <laughs> very immediately about what you're thinking. Um, yeah, but don't you, don't you think that like uh, there's something a bit lost there? Like, uh, so Ram, yeah, no, for, for example, sure, for sure, yeah. Yeah, Ram the other day was talking about how he'd like to like, ramble about his process a bit. And I was like, I don't want him to do that on Twitter. I would like to see that in long form. I would like to see like a thousand words of that every week in my inbox or something. Yeah, you can you can definitely be a lot more considered uh, yeah. when you're doing that. I think I think the Twitter thing is, yeah, it's because there's immediacy, immediacy, and it's also a lot easier to to have like a conversation with people. I think so. I, I'm gonna, you know, ac- I guess accidentally or inadvertently talk about panel by panel. I guess a lot in this topic because um, it's like one of the few things I read. Um, yeah. But I, that's why I'm, I'm trying. I want to do a little bit more of this idea of like being able to talk about stuff but also engage with people in, in that magazine so i have like an editorial that i i think i guess at first was mostly just used to talk about what we did in that issue yeah um, but, a, but since the sort of new year i've been trying to just use it to talk about something that i'm finding interesting at the moment about, about comics see the problem that i have with that is that um 
there used to be a time when most media consumption was paid. So let's say you had a magazine that was doing something like that. You had a readership of it that was all paid and they would write in. And, right. you know, that like the, it was a contained environment. But now, like, if you do something like that, firstly, it's limited to, like, the number of people that, that are going to buy PXP. Mm-hmm. And then the conversation is probably going to have on uh, happen on Twitter. Well, no. So that's what I was going to say. So it's. I don't think it's. I don't think it's not really like an. It's not really like the Ion Comics thing in the way that the examples that you that you used. It's very right. much more just a. I'm just going to ramble about something for you know six right. hundred words or whatever. Yeah. But what we try and do is get that like conversation going in the, in like a letters thing in panel by panel where people can write longer. And so we've had a few submitted already. And right. what I'm glad that they are is that they are they're fairly long considered letters. Um, nice. That you can do a bit, more, and I want to, re- you know, I'm going to respond to them in the magazine, and if they relate specifically to maybe a topic, I'm going to see if the writer, the author of that topic might want to re- uh, reply to it as well. But have something that's a little bit more longer, uh, longer form, and a little bit more considered um, as a response, rather than just kind of like, uh, you know, the questions I, I might ask on Twitter might just be like, you know, like what's a comic you've read recently that's good, or like what's the first comic you remember loving or whatever. Whereas right. in the magazine, I might ask something a little bit. Uh, you know, you, you're able to kind of go a little bit deeper into that question and, and talk a little bit about your experiences in a way that isn't as fragmented as Twitter can, can often be. So I'm hoping that we can get, as a more regular feature, I'm hoping that we can get people kind of replying and, and getting like a slightly longer back and forth going on in the pages. Um, that, that's interesting because that's almost a fourth kind of uh, conversation, critical conversation, because that's actually the audience. Right, uh, right. Yeah. You know, that's the audience talking to other members of the audience and creators. So that actually reminds me a lot more like, you know, those uh, letter columns that used to be uh, in like The Invincibles or uh, Human Target or right. like The Changing Man, yeah, where, yeah. you know, people would talk about like stuff that is like genuinely important. Like, you know, Miracle Man, like for, for example, had had like an entire series of letter columns about mm-hmm. the, you know, childbirth issue, right. and, which were all about, people's relationship with the idea of childbirth yeah uh, and like you know whether it's beautiful or gross or both <laughs> right, right. etc like or if, whether it's moral to depict childbirth etc like i i remember like uh reading those and feeling like you know what i i would love to say and see that happening rather mm. than like somebody in one tweet uh you know calling a creator terrible for depicting something <laughs> right all right, um, right yeah but, but that's the audience engagement part of it like that's that's essentially like what comments sections used to do, mm-hmm. but we've sort of like Twitter and Facebook are now the comment sections of the internet. Yeah, we we were sort of talking about this before we started recording this idea of like conversations on Twitter being being quite difficult. Um, right. And you do it's like sometimes you have like amazing. See, I said that, and I don't. It's not really that true. Occasionally, <laughs> you may you might be able to have like a really great conversation on Twitter, um, but it, it's it's not. It's weirdly for a thing that's designed to for interaction. It's not. It's not the best way to interact with people at all. Right. Um, and I'm not. I, I used to be. I, you know, when, when I was like a younger, I used to enjoy forums or whatever. Uh, yeah. Part of like a like an ultimate Marvel forum, I think it was. Um, and you could do a bit more in there. You know, you could have like long replies, and you could you could quote multiple different people's responses and kind of reply to them and stuff. And but it's Twitter just doesn't it just doesn't do that. And you don't right. really have time to kind of like speak. And also because it's real time, it's like in a chat. It's very very difficult to to hold a conversation where you actually have time to think about what you're saying because so much of it is just like uh, sort of knee-jerk reactions. I think when you, when you know, it's sometimes as well when you see you're talking, I, I, there's a specific example I'm thinking of where 
but also this could probably be extrapolated like any time uh, a comic creator kind of has a response to a critic um is that if, if those people kind of just stopped for a moment right. and, had, and had time just to think about what's being said on both sides uh that yeah. conversation will probably go quite differently but it, it, but it never and, al- and also like and also what that conversation is there to do like right, right. you know is this conversation actually useful for either participant or um, people watching because right, right. because it's it's fine like i mean uh, there will always be creators who um, sort of take things a little bit personally and there will always always be critics who are you know, just a little more edgy than they need to be. Right, uh, right. But the fact is, um, what is this conversation for? Like, um, you know, like is let's say let's say a critic says something and uh, the artist disagrees. Mm-hmm. What after that? <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, that, does there need to be a conversation after that? Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, that's that's a question that I think. I, I remember, like, I, I used to think that this is Twitter, but I re- then I remembered that back when, um, you know, there were all these, like, when blogs were actually a big thing, I mm-hmm. used to read a lot of comic book blogs, and this used to be the comment section as well. Like, uh, you know, a creator would come in who had been mentioned in the blog post, and they would start arguing why the critic was wrong. Right. And, well, once in a while, the critic would say that, "Hey, I was not talking to you. Could you could you stop talking to me?" Uh, but also, the critic could engage, and then the conversation might not necessarily uh, go very well, or might actually end up really well. Like you don't necessarily right. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but yeah, that's the thing. Uh, this this specific specific thing, like a conversation between creators and critics, mm-hmm. should that even exist? Like I I understand that a conversation between a creator and audience mm-hmm. does exist yep. will always exist you can't actually do anything about that like there's no point having an opinion on it because that's not going to change anything right uh, but like obviously whether the audience is nice about it whether the creator is nice about it those are different things like breaking down my door and talking about a comic that i worked on is no yeah, yeah. i mean I, I have i have zero responsibility to respond to you yep. but if you do it in a in a respectful way and like you know, I mean, people write letters to creators and people, as in, again, how quaint, letters. Uh, <laughs> but people write, like, messages to creators talking about how much they appreciated something that they did. Right. I think, uh, obviously, people do also have the right to write to a creator and say that, hey, I did not appreciate something you did. Right. But then then you should be civil about it. You should not make ad hominem attacks, etc., and so on. But mm-hmm. I don't think that's criticism exactly. That's audience reaction. That's... Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A critici- uh, yeah. Criticism is a public conversation. Criticism is basically, I would say in this case, let's say let's say that um, a book that is important in some way and, yeah. a, you know, in, in a particular year gets a, like, you know, 10 great reviews, but one shit, but incredibly well-considered review. Right. And then and then the, the creator goes to the publisher, like in this case, let's say, the website, like whatever. I don't think CB. I don't know if CBR still exists, but Newsarama or whoever. Right. And uh, then they say that, hey, I would like to respond to this. Yeah. And then you have an open conversation about it, like where mm. there's the there's the article that the critic wrote, then there's the article that the creator wrote in response to them. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, kind of that keeps going. That creates a certain responsibility on both people because they are not just talking to each other; they are talking to the audience that is right, reading that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that will create that will create a like a better sort of like I mean like it's idiotic to like basically say that hey if you don't like what I do I'm gonna like hunt you down in a parking lot and punch you. <laughs> that's no, let's, let's, 
insane. Yeah, but let's have a conversation. Like I, I remember, I remember somebody like had a sort of terrible response to one of my uh, books right. and essentially thought that like my choices uh, in lettering were terrible. And uh-huh. in that case, I kind of agreed with them because it was not my choice. I had had to change it. Uh, right. But on the other hand, that led me to writing an article about about this, like about like, okay, how do you work with a collaborator to create a style right. and you know, those things. So I kind of channeled my disappointment about it into like kind of, okay, how do I use this to kind of create a good conversation in public? Yeah. Um, with my limited sort of power, like I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, I so I, 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 I do. I yeah, I think I well, I, I'm pretty sure I agree with you on all this. Um, okay. I think Thank I you. like. I'm very smart. No, yeah, you are. You are. But I like. I like. The, I like that concept that it's not that there is that the artist will inevitably be part of the audience or, or can choose to be part of the audience, which is not. See, at this point, I, I think it's inevitable because uh, most comics creators are on Twitter yeah. and well, let's not pretend like, you know, everybody does vanity searches at least once in a while. Right. So you're gonna, gonna hear about what people are saying to you. And also like in general, these days you get tagged in reviews of your, uh, of your work. Yeah. So to, to then, like if you get tagged, for example, I think, I think that's, that's very much like the critic inviting you to like, look at this and respond in some way. Like mm-hmm. if, if, if some, if somebody talks shit in a, re- in a review and tags me in it, yeah. Then, okay, they either have been very thoughtless, or they actually want me to respond. <laughs> right, 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 right. But then I can choose to be elegant about it. But I think I think we're drifting away from like the initial topic of like what your comics criticism look like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what what access do you think we haven't covered, and uh, that like you know let's say, let's say something that you see in film criticism or like prose criticism that you think comics criticism could use. I think I talked about this. Uh, I think I talked about this, about this before. I was on uh, David Harper's uh, off-panel sketch uh, podcast. Yeah, um, this was like a while ago now. Uh, but I, I, I think I don't remember that one. I think he that was a Patreon exclusive episode or something. No, 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 no. Just cl- no one listened to it. Clearly, um, it was, <laughs> no. We, we talked. This was this was a good. I think it's like 2017, maybe. And we talked about. Um, I talk, I, I sort of gave a little ramble about comic uh, comic websites because I was. Um, on my high horse about panel by panel, and right. uh, one of the things I talked about was how um, in in I think I, I probably just constantly talking about sight and sound uh, and little white lies. Um, was it each in each issue of sight and sound, for example, it doesn't it doesn't follow a formula so much. I mean, we kind of have a formula in panel by panel, but sight and sound has sort of less so of one. It has like a big right. interview. Um, with a creator, but also in that interview, also do like a whole bunch of different things. It'll have like a little bit where next to the interview, it's kind of talking about like a history of that filmmaker. Um, or maybe it's talking about like some of their notable key works and, but like actually writing like an interesting article about that next to it. Um, right. Or, or it'll also have like, kind of like a, a bit of industry news, you know, a bit of um, industry kind of, uh, trends as well you know sometimes i'll talk about like like top grossing indie movies and what that means about it, what that sort of says about the indie movie market and things like that and it has like a really varied um sort of sense of what, what it's doing rather than just standard kind of like regurgitating press release news um right. reviews and you know the occasional feature or whatever um but comics the thing the thing that's different i think that's really really difficult about comics is it, there's like if you think, if you look up, if you think about movies, there is a there will be like a tentpole movie that's out, uh, you know, a couple of tentpole movie tentpole movies a month, right? A handful right. of like the big, you know, the the big ones, and then there's like a whole bunch of kind of indie movies. But from those indie movies, there will be ones that are deemed important already. And again, it'll only be a handful a month. 
So in any month, there's really only like a like a like a like a, a big handful, like a large man's handful of movies that are specifically going to be talked about. Um, and with comics, there's more than that every single week. There's tons every single week. And so I think it's it's really 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 difficult to to write about comic books in terms of like direct market comic books in the same way that you see outlets talk about films because they can give. Uh, you know, like in Panel by Panel, we have half the magazine every month talks about one specific comic. And film websites and stuff can do that. Can They, it can, they can do that without needing a gimmick like we have, essentially, um, <laughs> to dive into a film. Because there might only be a handful of films they, 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 they need to talk about uh, in that given fortnight period. And so they can, they can have a couple of features about the same film in different angles, in different ways, uh, maybe an interview and then maybe a feature review or whatever. Whereas comic sites, it's much more difficult because you're kind of reliant on that um, that big release week, that big Wednesday every single week. And almost you're sort of building up to that big Wednesday. And then as soon as it happens, you've got a couple of follow-up articles, but then the hype begins for next Wednesday. And, and, so, right. and so it's so much more difficult, I think. Um, and also your, your reviews, for the most part, are embargoed until... Uh, in some cases, the date comes out, um, and if not, Monday at the very earliest in most places, and usually the Tuesday beforehand. So there's there's a limit to what you can even write about a comic to hype it up before it comes out. It's turned into like a really weird specific business conversation. <laughs> I, I just wanted to talk about how like I want like so let's let's say somebody like Kieran, Kieran Gillen or Dan Waters uh, to have like a weekly column. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't know where. I don't know how we got here. I would absolutely love that for that to happen. Actually, yeah, like that. That was something that I was gonna ask. Like at this point, if if like let let's say you have like just just like Warren Ellis, uh, Matt Fraction, and uh, Stephen Grant, who would you choose right now among creators like the younger ones to kind of do something like this uh doesn't have to be just a writer it can be an artist or a colorist or you know somebody like that yeah that's a great question i yeah, I, like I, I was i was idly thinking about like you know maybe i should ask denise to do like a question answer sort of column right, like right, right. Joe, Joe casey and fraction did with <laughs> the basement tapes yeah uh but I think neither of us are particularly successful. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm trying to think it would be a good one. Like, I think it would, I want, I'd want it to be someone young, I think. Uh, yeah. Rather than uh, a more like established, well-known creator. But then obviously you run into problems of like, you want name branding, I guess. But um, No, but see, like, let's say take 2002. Fraction was not like a name brand yet. He was right. just starting out. While Casey was. Uh, Stephen Grant, on the other hand, was like a, considered like a workhorse kind of, Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, so like, don't don't worry about the name branding. Okay, Let's just okay. say who do you who do you think would be the most the three the three that come to my head immediately that I think would be right. good in that scenario would be uh, Chris Sabela. I think would be quite interesting. Um, yeah. I think Kurt Perez would be quite interesting, and I think uh, Nadia Shamus Sham. I hope I'm pronouncing that her surname right. Um, yeah, yeah. Would be would be a, so, yeah. a good uh, approach because that's that's three people who are. Uh, mostly on, I want to say, the fringes isn't quite right, but mostly, I suppose, indie comics. They're mostly doing more independent stuff as opposed to big, right. big two stuff. Um, they've, but they've had experience at a publisher. I, you know, Chris has written DC stuff. Um, yeah. Kurt's doing that Dark Horse book and he's done some other Dark Horse work. And Nadia's just picked up a couple of things, I think, for, I, I want to say IDW, maybe. I can't remember who it is. Um, but she's picked right. up some publisher work as well as a writer. So, And she's also self-published a whole bunch of stuff really successfully. So I think you've got, that's, uh, to me, that's three people off the top of my head that would have a, a slightly more uh, diverse sort of view of the industry 
Yeah. No, those are, those are good names. Who would, you, who would you have? Um, I, I would love to do like uh, Dan Waters and Ryan O'Sullivan like battle column. Right. right like where right. they just take the piss out of each other and like talk about comics while doing that. <laughs> uh, that. That would be fun. But those are two straight white dudes, I think. Um, Teeny Howard would be fantastic. I think yeah. she's, just, yeah. she's just started like, uh, you know, getting like really big work mm-hmm. and she's seen sort of like she's she's uh, I, I think I'm right in thinking that she's she has done work that she's uh, paid for and kind of like you know got done because she wanted the work yeah. uh, wanted to do the work and then she's kind of seen the whole thing and right now she's kind of on the uh, you know precip- not precipice like on the uh, uh, what do you call it the peripheral the edge of the bubble no yeah she's kind of just about to like kind of uh, start the big one like you right, know like right, right. The, she's gonna be and like, I mean I mean even three years ago you could have told anybody that Tini Howard is the uh, gonna be like big at some point mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so like she's about to do that so I would be very interested in seeing like what the comics world look lo- looks like to her right um, then that's two columns done <laughs> uh, then who else it doesn't need to be three. I don't know why I went for three. Eh, you, you said three. Let's it's do a good three. number three. Uh, you know, I would love to see like... So I, I, I sort of had a very brief chat with Brian Selfie Freeze at right. Thought Bubble last yeah, year. Yeah. And like he's so thoughtful about the things that he does. Mm-hmm. I would love to see him talk about art in the comics industry right now like something a little bit like dave johnson's like covers critic critique blog but like you know more general purpose like right uh, what 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 kind of art influences comics could use right now uh, you know what's like when when you're doing a comic what is it that you're sort of thinking about because you can't um, you know can't kind of render every every page to the same degree so what are the priorities you know like a process come sort of um, like how does this thing, thing even work kind mm-hmm. of thing mm-hmm. that that would be very interesting like that so that's like three young ones and one like elder statesman yeah i think that's that i would I'd, yeah i'd read all those yeah that would be that would be very interesting see that's a cool like that would be a cool like uh uh that'd be like a cool zine thing it's just getting, yeah. getting like a whole bunch of. I mean, I'll plug. I'll plug panel by panel. We do that every month for panel by panel. Get people to get creators <laughs> to interview each other. But that would be quite a cool thing is to have like a zine that was just about, uh, uh, you know, just like like almost like monthly columns, but just collected into a zine from like a whole bunch of different people. Yeah, like I mean, uh, what I'm what I'm sort of very interested in, in is, is is these residencies. Like, you don't need to have a continuing column that goes on for like four or five years. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can do like ten and done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You no, know, cool. or like, or like fifty-two, or see. For example, it was great that uh, w- both Ellis and Fraction, but Fraction particularly, whenever like he didn't necessarily have the time to do the column, mm-hmm. he would just throw in like the latest script that he was working on. Yeah, and that was great because like, okay, this is what this person is doing right now, mm-hmm. and the, and you don't see the comic like the comic is gonna come later. But like, I mean, if Brian Selfie's one 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 week is too tired to do something, I would love to see just like process stuff yeah 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 here you go your sketch designs for like his black panther run or yeah, whatever yeah like you know that kind of whatever is on that person's mind that week mm-hmm. rather than like 
with a purpose like i mean we do this podcast with a purpose like we bring a topic i mean it is kind of whatever is on our minds but yeah yeah um, yeah but something like that's not like particularly bound by theme but bound by personal writing i think if you if you wanted to, if you're talking about um being it about like a state of comics or something it's about it's that's that's what i think scares me a little bit because it's right because it's like I, I don't feel like i'm even though i'm i feel plugged into comics i don't think it's necessarily like plugged into like the the wave of what is super current to be able to like give which just sounds really bad for someone that produced the monthly magazine um <laughs> but you know what i mean in terms actually, of like actually, forming that kind of like that kind of like interesting opinion on that sort of thing right but i don't think that's the most interesting thing about something like this because i, I would rather like uh I'm pretty sure I started reading Alec, like the Alec comics, right. because of Ellis's uh, coming along. Mm-hmm. So, like one of my absolute favorite comics, I just read because of a throwaway recommendation at the end of a piece, and that was not. I, I don't think that was being pub- like as in. Uh, I don't think Ellis was writing that because it had just been published. Right. He was just writing that because of it. This is a comic that nobody talks about how much it's influenced comics as they are now. Right, right, right. So here you go, yeah. and he was talking about it in 2002, and like. I mean, 2019, and people I don't think still credit uh, the Alec comics for like how brilliant and influential they are. Right. Uh, but yeah, like stuff like that, or like I'm pretty sure in 2002, not that many Western comics readers were reading too much manga, mm-hmm. and the fact that Ellis was just like, okay, here's five manga that are brilliant. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna just tell you like a little bit. So I mean, now obviously we have an information glut, so like that is not necessarily mm-hmm. uh, the interesting thing apart. But you still do want somebody to process stuff for do you, think, you. Do you think that's just been replaced by newsletters, though? It has, and I think that the problem with newsletters is that they are not in a conversation with each other that much. Right. Like, like you have five columns by five different people being published every day of the week mm-hmm. that's a conversation because uh, those people get to react to those columns those right. are the columns because right. these are those are also by columns uh, those columns are also by people that you know they worked with or that they know mm-hmm. so like that is um, the interesting thing to me and the the thing that newsletters still do which i like about these things is that this is somebody processing stuff for you <laughs> right um, right 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 like uh, like I just read, uh, like Ellis's newsletter is still going on, right? Mm-hmm. So I just read um, uh, a book called The Only Great Harmless Thing. I think mm-hmm. it's a 96-page uh, science fiction sort of like poetically written kind of like uh, science fiction thing that I would have never have encountered on my own, and I got to read that and like that got added to my life, which is great. <laughs> right, right. So I want something like that. I want because nobody's influences are the same. Mm-hmm. And I want that to come out. Like a column lets you do that. A column kind of makes you root through things that, like you know, you don't necessarily like. I mean, I did that. Like my last newsletter was essentially me doing math on four different comics, right. and that was math that I'd already done for my own purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just like, I have nothing to write about, so let me just put this into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that was one of my best received newsletters because, like, there were people thinking, oh, like this is, oh, this is how. Okay, this is how word count influences pacing mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. A, of a comic. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I was just like, okay, this is what's on my mind this week. Like, I, if I'm forced to write every week, there's gonna be something that's gonna be unexpected at some point. Right, 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 right. 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 So that's that's sort of my what appeals to me because, like, I there, there's a lot of interesting work being done in comics right now, mm-hmm. and all of that has a thought process behind it. Yeah. And a lot of the time, that thought process just gets lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and that's sort of what I want to capture through something like this. No, I like that. You've you've also now convinced me to try and figure out how to do it in the magazine. So uh, <laughs> we, may, <laughs> I may get try. I may try and figure that out. Uh, get get all of these people that I just mentioned yeah. to write one column each. Yeah, that's a good idea. No, I, I think I, I think this is. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow this up with some people. I think that's a good idea. Nice. Look at that. Excellent. This this Work. this recording was actually productive. <laughs> I think we did. I think we did quite well. We we've gone yeah. we've gone quite long, I guess, which was to be expected. That, that was our first one back for a while. Yeah, I think yeah. It, I think that's probably somewhere around close, almost close to two hours. Which I'm like, I think it's more than two hours because the last one was like, yeah, like yeah. I think it's a little more than two hours. If you've as I think we feel like I feel like we say this like at the end of every episode, but if you've made it this far, that is genuinely impressive. Uh, yeah, and, this this was like a fucking marathon, man. And you like, win a prize. Well, I don't know yeah. what the prize will be, but you win a you win a well done. You get well, I mean the prizes you get to hear us do do the outro, I guess. Okay, if if you're a creator and you want the lettering in your comic critiqued, I would be happy to do that through DMs. Just just in case you survive this long. Okay, there you go. That's that's yeah. a nice bonus. Now we'll get to know how many people actually <laughs> listen to this all the way through. I'm getting absolutely zero DMs from that's this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we could literally say anything at this point it's just me and you um, yeah yeah. well I mean if you've made it to the end then you get a bonus uh, DM critique from a uh, lettering critique from, from a ditcher in DM so that's nice uh, uh, I'll roll straight into it see I've already messed it up because I start uh, so thanks for checking out this week's Letters and Lines with a Ditcher and Me you can find the podcast at all the usual places you can find podcasts I, I think it's on iTunes probably if it still exists on there uh, and SoundCloud and the like yeah, you can keep up with me uh, on Twitter at Aditya B and on my website at AdityaB.net. I'm doing some interesting stuff this year in terms of writing, so stay tuned. And I'm on Twitter at Hassan OE. Plus, you can check out Strip Panel Naked on YouTube and my magazine at panelxpanel.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>